Tonight we are in the book of Judges, chapter 6. Of course, you can follow along on version uh, if you'd like to. The scriptures will also be on the screen. And we're talking about a dude named Gideon. Now, Gideon's pretty famous. Uh, I remember, I think it was two years ago at camp. On the last night, it was really funny. I was sitting next to Audrey in the last night of service, and she opens up the Bible. to. He said, okay, we're going to be in Judges, and it's the story where Gideon beats a bunch of dudes with only 300 dudes, and she opened it up, and she's like, hey, that's the same thing the guy last year preached on on the Thursday night of camp. She had it marked in her notes and, or in her Bible, and so we hear that story about Gideon a lot where he took 300 men and beat a whole army. Tonight, we're not going to talk about that part of Gideon's story. Okay, we're in Gideon. Uh, we're in Judges chapter 6, starting in 2531, and here's the setup for the story. It goes like this. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So the Lord gives Gideon this command. He says, all right, I want you to take that bull from your dad's, your dad's herd of, of cows. I want you to take this bull. I want you to tear down his altar to Baal. Baal is a, is, a, is a false god that a lot of people in that day were worshiping. And the real god is like, okay, tear that altar down. And the Asherah pole was another way of celebrating these false gods. Take down this Asherah pole. Use the wood from the Asherah pole to build an altar to me, the real god, on the same spot, on these heights, because they would often build those things up on the top of a hill. So he's like, on the same spot, tear down the Asherah pole and build an altar to me and sacrifice that bull on top of it. So it's kind of adding insult to injury. Not only is he tearing down the Asherah pole, he's going to use that to build an altar to the real God. But Gideon does it at night. He doesn't do it any time he does it at night. Why? Because he's afraid of his family and the townspeople. So he did it in the nighttime rather than the daytime. We're in this series talking about fear, and last week we talked about fear of the unknown. Tonight we're talking about fear of people, fear of people. What are some ways in that we are afraid of people? What, do we, what are we afraid that somebody might do to us sometimes? Yes. Bully you, yeah. And there's several kinds of bullying, right? There's the physical kind, right? Anybody ever felt physically in danger? Somebody might really beat you up? A few of you, Okay. Taylor, you've never felt that way. Whatever, you lived with Tyler for 18 years or for 16 years. You felt that way at some point. <laughs> what? You're not scared of Audrey? Oh, you were scared of, okay, like a couple times when you were little. Yeah, Wes was scared of me for a while, and then now he's bigger than me. So, uh, Chase and Kaylee are scared of you. That's probably true. Your brother's not scared of you. No. So we can be afraid physically, like we're afraid someone is going to really beat us up. I remember when I was in about 7th or 8th grade, I guess, it was like some kind of church potluck dinner or something, and they had, I was in with the kids off to the side, and or in this side room, and I remember the kid's name, Charles Huber, uh, was just this annoying little kid, you know, and I didn't like him very much, and uh he was physically scared of me because at one point I had his arm bent back and him up against the wall. Like I didn't have a lot of patience with the little kids. And I almost broke that kid's arm, and he should have been scared of me. Um, he's a little turd, but he grew out of it, thankfully. He did. He did. He grew out of it. And so did I. I'm a churd. You know, I no longer feel the need to physically harm little kids. But yes. Yes. So, so sometimes we're afraid physically, like for our health, somebody might 
come after us. What, what other ways are we afraid of people sometimes? Yes, ma'am. Afraid mentally? How so? Insults? Yeah, like what they might say. People make fun of you. You're afraid you might get made fun of. Say what? Blackmailing? You're afraid they might blackmail or try and manipulate you? Absolutely. They might try and politic their way, you know, into getting you in trouble. They might, you know, tell the teacher something that wasn't even true to get you in trouble, right? Well, you know, we are afraid of people in a variety of different ways. And so tonight we're going to talk about how Gideon was afraid of of his family and the townspeople and how he overcame that. Because I think at various points we all have been afraid of a person or of a group of people, just like Gideon was. So how did Gideon overcome that fear? Well, first and foremost, right at the beginning of the scripture that we're talking about here, he knew the call. He knew what he was supposed to do. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week about making sure that you are in the will of God, that you know this is what God wants me to do, and I'm doing that. Okay, that's the first thing. He knew what God was calling him to do. And, you know, because he had this relationship with God, he had heard from God on several times, and so he knew what God's voice sounded like. There's a scripture in John that says, my sheep know my voice. And, and that's exactly where Gideon was. He, he knew for sure what God had called him to do. And sometimes we can be afraid. You know, God tells us, hey, I want you to go. You know, just the Holy Spirit sometimes, hey, I want you to go talk to that person. Hey, I want you to stand up for that kid that's getting bullied. I want you to go do this. I want you to go do that. And we know what God has called us to do. And so that is the first thing we know. That song we just sang a few minutes ago comes out of Scripture. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But notice this. It works. God, you know, God works together for the good of those who love him and are in his purpose and are in his will. If you're outside of his will, don't expect this verse to be true for you. If you say, you know, God called me to do this, I went that way. Ask Jonah how that worked out, right? Jonah, God said, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going to Tarsus. And he ended up swallowed by a whale. So if we're outside the will of God, we cannot expect God to work on our behalf because we're outside the will of God. He's going to try and bring us back inside of his will. So that's the first thing that Gideon had going for him was he knew what the call was and he had that focus. He was focused on that thing. He knew his eyes weren't going to come off of it, but he knew what God had called him to do. Here's the second thing about how, how Gideon did this and how he overcame his fear is that he didn't do it alone. Okay, he didn't do it alone. It said in verse in the, in the last verse of that section we talked about, Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had called him to do. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to try and do this by myself. I better take some dudes with me just in case my family wakes up in the night and they decide to come beat me up. I'm going to have some dudes with me just in case, right? And we know that we're not called to live our Christian life alone. I always quote Proverbs 27, 17. Tonight I'm going a different route. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, it says this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, Scripture tells us over and over and over again that this Christian life is meant to be walked together. It's when we try to do it alone 
that we tend to fall. And I have been there. I know, you know, they, they talk about, especially if you have a hidden sin or, a, or a, a recurring sin that nobody knows about, that, you know, they always talk about how, preachers always talk about how the first thing to do before you can overcome that is to tell somebody so that you're not trying to do it alone because none of us is strong enough on our own to, to do this Christian walk. It's really hard. It's hard to be a Christian knowing that many will take the wide road and few will take the narrow it's really hard when you, you know, knowing that sometimes, but we are not called to do it alone. We're called to do it with people. Even in that movie, that goofy clip from Monsters, Inc., what does he say? He says, that's going to be all the more humiliating for you when we break the scare record. That's what Mike Wazowski says. He doesn't say when Sully does or when I do. He says, when we, we're a team, you're, you know, when we break the scare record, he knows that Sully can't do it without Mike providing the doors and Mike can't scare anybody. So he can't help, you know, he can't do it without Sully to scare people. So he said, you know, we have to do this. And then, of course, at the end, the little, the little tagline at the end, he says, I'm really going to let you teach that guy a lesson because Mike knew he couldn't teach Randall a lesson on his own. He was going to need Sully to do it. We are not supposed to live life alone. We are not. And, when, you know, when we have sometimes when we struggle, we tend to want to come into this shell and say, I don't want anyone to know that I'm struggling. I don't want anyone to know that I have this problem. I don't want anyone to know that, that this is bothering me or that this thing is happening to me. But it's when we begin to share and we begin to allow other people to help hold us up that all of a sudden our strength returns. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament of Moses and God said, "Okay, Moses, you sit on this rock, or you not, you go up on this hill, and as long as your hands are in the air, the Israelites are going to win this battle. As long as your hands are in the air, the Israelites are going to win. But it's really hard to hold your hands up in the air for a long time, right? Anybody ever, you know, like, like, like you think you're good for? How about you know, you get in class and the teacher like calls for somebody, or you got to go to the bathroom in class and you sit there, right? And at first you're good, you got your hand up and you're there and you're good to go." But if she's not paying attention, she's looking at the board. She's not looking at the class at all. And so eventually what happens, you kind of, you begin to do this thing. You get the half, you know, the half raise thing. Or, you, or you, this one or something. You know, you just kind of lean it on your head like that. And then your teacher's like, are you stretching or do you have a question, right? And because it's hard to hold your arms up in the air for long periods of time. And so Moses found that. He said, you know what? God said, as long as your hands are in the air, as long as your arms are up, Israelites will win. But at some point, his arms got tired. So Aaron, his brother, came and helped him and held his arms up in the air. Oh, yeah, you got to do the, the figure four there. Yeah, I forgot about the figure four one where you use the extra arm to hold the one arm up. Yeah, that's the other good one. And so Moses probably tried all those things, and then finally Aaron was like, okay, I got you, bro. Aaron and her said, you know what? We're gonna, so you sit on the stool or on this rock. We're going to hold your arms up, and that's exactly what they did, and the Israelites won the battle because we are not called to do this life alone. We have to face these fears with, with other Christians beside us. Here's the other thing that, that Gideon did was he did it with wisdom. You see, he knew he had... He knew that, that, that if he tried to do this in broad daylight, he'd get attacked and he'd be in a bad way. He'd be in trouble. So what did he do? He did it at night. Now, he wasn't trying to be sneaky. He wasn't, you know, it was about wisdom. It was about doing this in a way that it was likely that he could actually do it and be successful at it. And sometimes we as Christians want to do that. You know, we want to just be right out in broad daylight. And we should be public with our faith, but, but there's sometimes when we're called to do things that require some delicacy and some subtlety. And I'll admit, I'm not the most subtle of human beings in the world. I'm fully aware of that. Subtlety is not, my, uh, not one of my life, life gifts. I tend to be very out there and very in your face. But sometimes we have to be delicate. We have to treat situations with wisdom in a way that, that we're not just out 
making people more mad at us, but instead we're doing something in a way that is going to get people on our side, is going to win people over so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. 1 Corinthians 9.22, the second half of it says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul said that. And, and what he's saying is, you know what, I don't have to come out here and just be a jerk to everybody. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get in with this group. I'm not going to go against Scripture. I'm not going to go against what God teaches, but I'm going you know, to be a part of this group so that I might be able to help bring a few of them. And, and this group, I'm going you know, to find common interests. And you know, if this group's a bunch of whatever, you know, football fans, I'm going to watch football with them. If this group likes basketball, I'm going to watch basketball with them. If this group wants to go to the orchestra concert, I'll go to the orchestra concert with them. You know, we have to, you know, we can't just stand up in the middle of school and start hitting people with the Bible. We have to, we have to use some delicacy and some wisdom in the way that we reach people and the way that we fulfill the call of God. And wisdom comes, again, from a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And here's the other thing. you got to do it like Jesus told you to do you got to do it like Jesus told you to do. It says in the second half of verse 27, it said, you know, he took his ten servants, and then he did as the Lord had told him. Again, he could have gone another way. He could have tried a different route, but he said, you know what, I'm going to do this like God told me to do, and that way I'll be successful. So, so the three things that he did to overcome the fear, number one, he knew he was in the will of God. He had his focus on the plan. Number two, he didn't try and do it alone. And number three, he did it with wisdom. And what's the result? Let's go on, verse 28. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the mound demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So he was afraid of them with good reason because they tried to kill him afterwards. And when they try and kill you, that's not good. But he knew he had done it right, and so he's going to be okay. And check this out, verse 31. But Joash replied to the hospital crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. See, I love this because whose altar was it? Baal's. But who owned the hill and who, like, who, who, who had built it? Now, now, the altar to Baal, God did not build the altar to Baal. The people, let's go back to the first scripture. Tear down your father's altar. So it's his dad's altar. Like his dad is the one who built the altar. But then who's the person who comes to defend him later? His dad. The same guy. You would think the dad would be the first one out there to get him. But no, the dad is like, the dad defends him because he did it the right way. He did it in God's plan. He did it you know, in a way that was wise, in a way that made sense. And so his dad comes to his defense, even though it was his dad's altar that he had destroyed. His dad is the one who stood up for him. Because even though he was afraid, and he had every reason to be, because the people did try and kill him, he had every reason to be afraid, he overcame those fears. And he did what God had called him to do, and he did it in such a way that even his dad said, you know what? If that God is better than Baal, then he's better than Baal. That's okay. And he, he was able to, to help his father see what he saw, which was the strength of God, the father of Yahweh, and not of Baal. There's an old, old Indian fable. It talks about a mouse. And there was this mouse 
who, uh, who was always afraid. The mouse was just always afraid of the cat. Right, you're guessing Tom and Jerry, right? Cats and mouse don't, don't get along. So this mouse was always afraid of this cat, and he just lived in constant fear of this cat. And so, so he, came, he came upon this magician one day, and, and he said, hey, I mean, you got to help me out. you got to turn me into a cat so that I won't be afraid of this cat. This cat won't chase me. Make me a cat like him so I can, so I can be equal with him. And the guy's the magician said, okay, turns him into a cat. Got, got it. So now he's a cat, and, uh, and, and, and that's all well and good until he meets a dog. And so now he's a cat, but he's terrified of this dog. He's not afraid of the cat no more, but he is terrified of this dog, and he just lives every day in fear of this dog. And, and so he, say, he finds them, he, he, he goes back to the magician, he says, dude, you gotta, you got to turn me into a dog so I won't be afraid of this, uh, of this dog. Like, I, you know, I don't want to be afraid anymore. So, so he does. The magician turns him into a dog. You got it. So he's a dog, and for a couple, you know, for a little while he's good until, until he's out in the woods one day and he meets a tiger. Meets a tiger. And I was like, oh, no. This, this can't be good. This tiger's way bigger than me. And so he says, this, this tiger's going to get me for sure. I know the, I know you. So, so he, he lives in constant fear of this tiger for a few days. And, and, you know, and, and then he finds the magician. And he says, dude, you've got to turn me into a tiger so that I won't be afraid of this tiger anymore. And, and so he, he, he does. The magician says, yeah, I got you. I'll turn you into a tiger. I got it. And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, the tiger hears a gunshot. And he finds out about man, and all of a sudden he's like, dude, I'm afraid of this hunter. Like, this hunter's going to take me down and make me a rug. You know, it's going to be bad. And so he's afraid of this hunter, and he finds the magician. He says, dude, you got to help me again. And the magician says, I'm just going to make you a mouse again because you only have the heart of a mouse, and I cannot help you. You see, God, and we talked about this verse last week, the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And as, as we close tonight, I want you to think about the thing that, or the person that has held you back at some point. Okay, the person that you're afraid of what they might say. You might be afraid of a friend's rejection if you talk to them about Jesus. You might be afraid of, uh, of, of you know, of, of, of somebody might try and undermine your position or, or, or they might tell, you know, try and politic you or do some kind of thing where, where you might end up in a lesser position than you started with. And we get afraid of people and what they might say if we follow God's call. Maybe God has called you to something specific and you know what it is, but you're afraid even your parents won't get it. You're afraid that even me or, you know, your, your leaders or your coaches, you say, no, I know I'm called to do this, but I just don't know how they'll take it. And God says, if you're in my call, if you're in the will of God, and, and, and you, you have godly people with you. The Proverbs talks all about how godly counsel is useful. And you've got godly people who, who understand and agree that that's the, the call of God on your life and they're willing to help you get there. And you've got, you know you're going about it the right way. Then we have no reason to fear. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and I want you to begin to think about what it is that you know God's called you to do, because I believe most of you guys, can maybe not like your lifelong call, maybe you don't know your career call yet, but you know there's somebody in mind that you're supposed to talk to. There's somebody that you're supposed to invite to engage week at first priority next week. There's someone that you're supposed to invite to church or to, to tell them, you know, invite to the trunk or treat or whatever, and you're afraid 
of what they might say or what they might do. And even now, I want you to begin to pray for that person. I want you to begin to pray for God's will that you would be in it. I want you to begin to pray that there would be people brought around you that can help you. That's why I'm here. That's why Wes is here. It's why your church family is here is so that we can come up beside you and help you and lift you up when things get difficult. I want you to begin to pray for wisdom and how to handle that situation, how to approach that person, the best way to, to talk to them or the best situation to talk to them. Pray for opportunities. Because God will put a call on our life, but that does not make it easy. It does not necessarily mean the road will be smooth. Sometimes there will be people that want to get want to get us if we're in God's will. I've heard it said that if the devil's not attacking you, that means he's not afraid of you. And we want to be a, a, a youth group and a church, and I want you to be a generation that the devil is terrified of who are not afraid to listen to the call of God on their lives. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, Lord, you would put vision in each student tonight, God. You would put a face, you would put a name in their hearts, Lord, in their mind's eye. God, if somebody or something that they need, someone to reach, something that they need to do, someone they need to talk to, Heavenly Father. God, you would begin to, to, to put that in their hearts and, and let it continue to bother them, Lord, that they cannot just brush it off, they can't just blow it off, Lord, but you would be a persistent reminder of that. Call, Heavenly Father. God, and they would focus on that call and they would focus on that person in a way that, that they can't get it out of their minds and their eyes are locked solely on that. God, and that you would bring people around them and that they would seek out people to help lift them up. God, that we as a church and as individuals would not try and do it alone, Lord, but that we would rely on the Christians around us to sharpen us and to hold our arms up when we get weak. God, to find those people who can lift us up so that we won't try and do it alone. God, and you would give us wisdom in how to handle situations. I know there's delicate situations all over this world. And, Lord, let us not be the proverbial bull in the China, sh China shop, Lord, but give us wisdom in how to approach and how to handle and the words to say and the, and the knowledge to, to, to approach things the right way, God. God, and that we would be effective for you. We would not be afraid of what people are going to say. We would not be afraid of what people are going to do. We would not be afraid of what, what might happen, Lord, but that we would know if we are in your will, you will work things for our good. God, we can't always see the end. We can't see the end of the book right now, but we know you have us in your hands. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cast out fear, that your perfect love would cast out fear. God, that when that situation arises where the time comes to talk to somebody or to stand up to a bully or to whatever, God, that that fear would be gone, replaced by a boldness that comes only from you. God, a peace that passes all understanding that can only come from your spirit's indwelling. God, that we would not be afraid to stand for the convictions that we have and to stand 
in your will and to stand up for you, God. God, in a world where fewer and fewer people, it seems, love you, God, we pray that we would have the boldness to stand out from the crowd and to not be afraid of what they might say or what they might do. God, I know that you have great plans in store. And God, I just pray that we would walk in those plans, that we would listen to your will, that we would hold on to your call. God, because you will have us in your hands. Lord, I pray for, God, each student that's here for their physical health. Lord, I pray that they would remain strong as we enter cold and flu season. Lord, I pray that we would just, you would put a, a hedge of protection around our homes and around our bodies, God, that we would not... Uh, have to deal with those issues. And if, if some of us already are, Lord, I pray for quick healing. God, we pray for Natalie, Lord, that you would just heal her leg, God, at a miraculous rate, Heavenly Father, that the, the doctors would be astounded by how quickly her leg is healing, Lord, and that she would be pain-free and she would be discomfort-free, God, and that you would be the the doctor, God, the great physician on her body. Lord, I pray for her family situations that are represented here. God, I pray for, uh, God, just friends and for school and for all of the, the issues that we know are going on. Lord, for relatives who are sick and who are fighting. God, you know every need that's here and you, you don't need me to list them. And so I'm thankful that you already have the end in sight. God, and we just pray that you would have your way in every situation. God, we thank you. We love you. Continue, we pray.